Welcome to the Professional Amateur Podcast, where I talk to amateurs who are getting paid to do what they love professionally. We all have to start somewhere, and these are our stories. Do you want to support the podcast? You can go ahead and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash theprofessionalamateur. John Matuzzi is an award-winning filmmaker, visual effects editor, compositor, artist, you know, he does a lot. He's also a futurist in some regard, with how he sees the world adapting technology to make life easier and better for artists. I sat down with him and talked about everything, from the town we both grew up in, the films that he's created, what it was like to win a Student Academy Award, and even how he would like to see blockchain technology fix the problem of theft in the world of artists and creators. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So today on the podcast, I have John Matuzzi. Now you hear the name and you go, John Matuzzi, that's a very hard name to say. Um, <laughs> but John, could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is John Matuzzi. Uh, in Italian, it would be Matiuzzi, but we don't do that here in America. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm basically an artist slash filmmaker slash digital junkie, um, been following this sort of career path of filmmaking, video art, graphic art, anything sort of related to creating for quite some time now over, yeah, probably 30 years. I'm 43 years now. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's kind of it. Just pursuing my passion as a filmmaker and occasionally taking commercial work when I need to, you know, refuel the bank account. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, we, we always have those things that we kind of, um, that we do that we we don't mind doing, but it's not really what we want to do. <laughs> yeah, for real. But um, it, it's funny because you say that, you know, the art, that, that's where we met, thir- you know, forever and a day ago in high school, because we grew up in the in the same town. Um <laughs> So it was, it's kind of funny to see the trajectory that that a lot of people have gone on from from Pine Bush. I mean, just in general, because there's been a few people that have gone out and, and done their thing, but um, I don't know many of them that have become I, technically an Academy Award winner. Even so, I mean that's uh, an accomplishment that. Still blows my mind when I saw your acceptance speech for that. And that was for your short film, The Compositor, correct? Yeah, yeah. That was my graduate film, uh, 2012. Yeah, it was a Student Academy Award we won. And that feels like decades ago. But yeah. uh, it is a, Oh, my God. It is a decade ago. <laughs> but yeah, those are exciting times for me. I mean, everything I do really is pretty exciting for me. That's why I keep doing it. But... Uh, those those were pretty exciting times to sort of yeah. create a film that was um, very personal, but also uh, got recognition from my hometown, where um, you know me growing up, I was kind of a troublemaker. So <laughs> I was always sort of uh, you know in the high school they say like you know most likely to you know fill in the blank. I was one of those. Yeah. And, uh, so it was nice to sort of come back was really rewarding and it made me feel like um yeah that 
there's proof that you can turn your life around and go in a good direction. And it was really rewarding to see them print it in the paper and do a lot of interviews and, um, and that people were seeing it, uh, even regardless of how strange and sort of experimental the film was, um, you know, I knew most of my hometown probably, probably <laughs> wouldn't quite understand it or even like my, my work because it's kind yeah. of out there, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, those are, those are good memories. Yeah. And obviously we kind of like jumped right in the middle there. Um, so let's take it back to the first time that you did something in cinematography for, was it like a home movie that did it? Like what sparked that desire to go like, Hey, I think I could really get into this. Well, well, I mean, as a kid, um, I remember being in the backseat of the car. I was probably like seven or eight. And I remember asking my father if he can ever, if he can buy me a animation machine, which I didn't quite understand what that meant at the time, but I know I wanted to work in animation or at least was drawn to it. Now, that's not really when I first created something, but that's like the first memory of remembering uh, me wanting to do something in this field. But as far as like Polaroid cameras is kind of where it started. I think 2000, oh, 1997, 98, high school, I was a huge fan of carrying Polaroid cameras around everywhere. And I didn't really have any fancy cameras, nor did I have the knowledge or the training to use film. Um, I didn't really have, it on, have anyone in my life at the time to teach me that. So I just went at the Polaroid and... Um, went crazy wherever I went I was shooting Polaroids and then occasionally someone would have like a uh, these what do you call it a um, VCR camera oh my god oh yeah oh uh, yeah a VH- VHS VHS camera. camera there you go <laughs> yeah so you know my father shot it a lot when I was a kid and also you know there's a kid in high school um, who had one He'd bring it to parties, and I'd always kind of be grab it. I'd gravitate right to it, and I would get behind it, and I'd start filming. And I was like always trying to document the weirdisms of, you know, being in that moment at that age, which was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. Um, but still, that doesn't really answer your question because, like, that was kind of just having fun and enjoying the tool. But I think until I went to undergrad, uh, um. I, I did the first year in actual film class, film uh, film photography class, and that's where I finally bought a camera, and that's when I finally um, started learning the art of, you know, shooting imagery um, and developing and doing black and white, and all that good stuff that trains your eye. Uh, see, uh, that that's awesome because it was there. Obviously, that that desire to create it's it, in every creator. It's there. It's um something that we might not even recognize that it's there until we get to a certain point in our lives. I, I, I always kind of like tell people too. I'm like, um, I learned what I wanted to be what I grew up when I turned 36. <laughs> and that's uh-huh. when, when I finally like something's clicked with photography and it, it just, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. Sure. It took a little longer than I was expecting, but, but what, it was always, you know, underlying because we were in a lot of art classes um, in high school and I went off to college for graphic design because I thought that was the thing that I was supposed to do 
because I love computers and I love creating stuff. So why not go that route? Uh, and I found out I hated graphic design um, after being in the field for uh, almost 10 years. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you find that thing that is, you're like, yeah, this is mine. It's, it's a great moment. So when you started your undergrad and you started like really getting into it, what was your, your first project that you did that was like, all right, this is a, this is a big deal. So I started with film photography. It wasn't until a couple of years later that I actually like picked up um, mini DV cams, but the third, the first sort of photography projects were, um, I was, uh, I was painting pumpkins in, um, in Bloomingburg with uh, just the Gargano family. And uh, every winter I would paint pumpkins and I'd get paid to paint them and I would paint a lot of them. I'd paint a lot of them, like, you know, thousands and thousands over three months. And it became a part of who I was. And at one point, you know, we had to do like a final project in photography class. And I sort of just started documenting this really shanty kind of, um, what do you call it, like a flower garden or flower nursery mm. it was a combination of that and selling flowers Christmas trees and um, knickknacks and yeah I started really documenting it um, in a way that it felt really personal to me personal to me and uh, started sort of capturing all those really unique things that I was a part of for many years um, many seasons painting pumpkins so that was kind of the first portfolio piece I put together for myself that really made me proud and made me realize that you can kind of tell a story, tell quite a, quite a story with, you know, one image or several images lined up against one another. Yeah. And I, I kind of always um, look back at where we, you know, where we grew up and where we um, spent a lot of time. There's, always interesting stories there too and no one knows how to tell them so oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's actually it's it's great to have someone like you that can see these things and can capture them um so you you did your basically your first portfolio piece when was the transition to to go <laughs> Not like I want to make a movie, but yeah, kind of. I want to make a movie. Like, wh where did that desire come from? Like that to, to create a short film or even just anything in in the video realm. Like that's normally a photographer gets into photography and that's where they are. <laughs> and yeah. they never look at, you know, the cinematography or, you know, any type of video uh, realm at all. So... Yeah, especially back then, too. Um, kind of changing now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... Uh, I think when I went to undergrad... Well, so for one, I was always interested in, in being in entertainment. I, I actually thought I was going to be an actor coming out of high school because I was always... <laughs> I was a goofball, and I got a lot of attention in high school, and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed making people laugh, and I thought maybe... I'll be an actor, and I went that route and tried, and didn't get in any school, so I went to SUNY Purchase as sort of a, well, I didn't get into acting, let me go try art. Mm -hmm. um, I did it, I did my first 
year abroad or second semester abroad in Spain and uh, I took a video class and uh, yeah that was kind of where it hit me um, I did an experimental piece about um, the fear of sort of living abroad while uh, you know America had just been attacked and 9-11 it was like a year after so I made like an experimental piece of the sort of trauma and fear of you know, waking up one morning and maybe something worse happening from home. And that was, that's when I knew right away that I was completely and utterly addicted to creating stories. And they were much weirder back then. I'm you know, trying to make more narrative based stuff now, but yeah, that was kind of what hooked me. Um, and yeah, I haven't really changed my path since, to be honest. That, that's all. Well, and it, and it kind of shows too, because it, the, the work, the body of work that you have um uh, you're probably one of the only people I, I know like i know personally on a level that it actually has an imdb page that has actual credits on it <laughs> instead of um there's been a a few of my friends were like yeah i have it. yeah they they set up their imdb page themselves for a, a youtube video that they made but yeah. <laughs> you you actually there's quite a few credits there and i because i remember um before the the compositor my my brain is fuzzy but i remember you had another another piece that you worked on um the name is escaping me right now because my uh yeah uh la americana yeah the, yeah. yeah the of course <laughs> I forgot about that. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, and well, this is what happens in as we get older. Uh, <laughs> we just kind of forget about things that we've done. <laughs> but I, I remember um, at the time, that was what, like 2008, 2009, uh, maybe? Yeah, we started shooting in 2006, but I yeah. think it was fully finished 2008, 2009-ish. Yeah, I, I remember... It, when I had seen it, uh, you know, I saw that you were posting what we might have still been on MySpace at the time. This this is the the haziness of, <laughs> of that time. <laughs> but I remember I was just like, holy crap, he's he's making he's making uh, there's he's filming something. He's making a film that that's not a normal thing that anyone does. Like it it, it didn't click in my head to be like, yeah, that's something anyone could do but like you're pursuing it and it was like after that moment i kind of like watched from afar because i have moved like a hundred times since then but i would always watch like oh you know you, you're releasing these things you put out a short and you're like oh check this out so what i kind of want to get to is once you start figuring out that you have this passion and you're like yeah I'm hooked on film. How do you take it and go, Hey, give me money for this. <laughs> Good question. Um, so there really, there's, there's really no money on my end. Um, uh, I don't really get paid to make movies or I haven't really gotten to that point in my life yet. And there's many reasons why um, that's a, a different discussion or, or we can hold that for later. But Basically, grants um, grants helped a lot in making them. Um, specifically, the Americana, we got quite a bit of money 
um, uh, probably, yeah, I don't even know. It was enough to keep us not really working that much uh, during two years of editing. Mm. Um, you know, I recently got a, a grant for the, the film that I'm also making about Pinebush, our hometown. Um, I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's kind of on hold right now, but um, because I'm working on another crazy film. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so I'm a little uh, I'm a little dizzy from looking at hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage the past month. Um, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. So it's tough. So I, you know, I work as a commercial artist, and that's really how I keep myself afloat. I see. I have this kind of issue with being a filmmaker and wanting money and because the more you need someone else's money, the more you're sort of, you kind of lose the power and um, ability to tell your story the way you want. Mm. And I know this only from people I, that I know in the industry who are like that, who are much more sort of successful in the sense of like they're producing content for Netflix or HBO. And, you know, there's a lot more people above you sort of pushing buttons. Um, yeah. So I try to, at least from for my 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 films now, I'm I'm really trying to keep the, the sort of my vision exactly the way I want it, and the only way to really do that is to fund it myself um, and keep it cheap. So as you know, it's like pretty easy to make a film right now, and it's this is probably why I, I stick to documentary slash experimental because it's much easier and much more affordable. Um, yeah. Than needing 10 grand for a week shoot or even 10 grand for a day shoot. So, sorry, I might've like veered off on the question. No, no, not at all. Actually, you're, you're kind of answering it in spades is, and it was, you answered it right up front and you're like, yeah, that there is no money in, <laughs> in it because that to have your vision, you can't let anyone influence it. You know, you can't let anyone out outside of what your vision is like come in and kind of just like stomp on it because they're writing the check. So it makes sense that there's no money to make a movie. Now on the flip side, you do commercial work and which is kind of funny that you did the, the short film of, of the, the compositor, because what are you doing most of the time when you're doing that commercial work? Yeah. <laughs> So it was more or less of a short film than it was like a short biography of what you're doing, just with a little crazy involved. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the sort of theme behind the compositor was that like I don't like I don't want to be trapped in an industry that you know can quickly turn you into a into a robot or into you know um, to the point where there's this funny thing when you work in commercial work. I've noticed the more you work in it the more you sort of convince yourself that you like the content you're making. And it doesn't mean you don't make cool stuff, but remember you're always making it for a brand or for, you know, something that you don't really care about. Unless you do care about something specifically. You could. You could absolutely love Coca-Cola and love making, you know, dancing bears. But there's this weird thing where you trick yourself, you convince yourself that what you're doing is like changing the world and doing making you feel good and sure you are learning a lot of new tricks and that's the most important part. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a check, um, yeah. for me. And I have to remind myself that because you can quickly get swept away for years 
you know, and you're like, oh my God, what happened in three years? I've worked on 27 commercials and I had no time to work on my own stuff. So it's a struggle um, trying to like say no, no, no um, when I, when I have to yeah. um, focusing on my own work. Yeah. That saying no is always the hardest part. I had to learn how to say no as a photographer um, just as, you know, as a portrait photographer, because I um, don't want to be a portrait photographer. <laughs> that was like all the stuff that people do like weddings and portrait work and like senior photos, all that stuff. I'm like, this is, this is taking up too much time. And I want that time to work on stuff that I enjoy. I want to do my, my fine art photography. I want to go out in the middle of the night and do long exposure photography and make weird shit. Like that's, that's what I love doing but I can't do that if I'm like editing a whole bunch of event photos or, you know, the stuff that gets you a paycheck, but man, it's kind of like, eats away at your soul a little, but I would have a problem of saying no. So saying no is actually really, it's a really good tool to have. I think whatever industry that you're in, um, especially when you're trying to, to do something for yourself as well. But um, so, you know, you take these commercial jobs and you have done like some, some really cool stuff. They didn't, did you do some, visual effects work like just recently uh, you did that for the super bowl right which is sounds insane but <laughs> yeah it was insane uh yeah i was a lead uh 2d visual effects artist on the sort of intro 30 second intro to the super to the halftime show so there was a 30 second crazy visual animation that leads you into the actual live performance um you know, and that was sponsored by Pepsi, and also it was with the Super Bowl with, you know, the, the uh, NFL there. I don't know if they call it the Federation or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it was pretty it was pretty badass, and it was a lot of fun, and I worked with some pretty talented people, and it, yeah, it was pretty cool to, to have your, your work in front of 100 million plus people. That- um, <laughs> As an artist, that's I think that's what every artist in any capacity that's all they want. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you saw the thing I did. That's awesome. <laughs> but hundred million people watched it, and that's that is crazy. That's that is. <laughs> so when you get, how, well, first of all, how do you get onto a um, a how do you get a job like that? <laughs> That's like, how, how did that even come up? So like, kind of like walk me through that, that road yeah. that you walked on. Uh, so, so I work in visual effects, um, specifically a compositor, which for anybody out there wants an easy definition, it's Photoshop for moving images. So when people are like, Oh, you Photoshop that. That's what I do, but for moving images, you know, we, we deal with all kinds of complex um, footage and green screen and, and CGI, and we basically put it all together to make it pretty, make it believable more than pretty. Um, so I graduated 
SVA. I studied that specifically because I'm obsessed with visual effects and I've always wanted to be a part of it. So yeah, I just went hard at school for three years in graduate school and taught myself everything I needed to know. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I just kind of got lucky. Um, I was doing a lot of tracking at the time, which is like tracking footage in order to like put other things in the in, in the scene. And it's kind of grunt work, and a lot of people don't really like to do it, but for some reason I liked it the same way. You know, it was kind of it's kind of um, my form of meditation. You know, it's like cleaning the dishes. So like doing that, I got really really good at it, and no one else wanted to do it because everyone else wanted to do the, the Pixar characters running around and the explosions and the, you know all the big stuff the the marvel stuff and i was just like no i just want to get jobs so i, I kind of got jobs really fast uh recommended from one teacher and then another teacher and then other friends i went to school with that were really talented got me jobs in the studios that they were working in it kind of just went from there it became it became quickly, uh, like, studios started relying on me really fast because I was always available and always willing. And I would also put in really long hours, which you kind of do in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then I just met some directors, really talented ones um, that are, you know, making big budget films. And they occasionally do some indie work, and I work with them. And then occasionally they get a job like that. They're like, hey, I'm working on the Super Bowl. You want to work on it? And um, I usually say no, 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 because <laughs> like the stress of it freaks me out. Because I know they're going to be like twelve to sixteen-hour days, yeah, or two weeks straight or three weeks straight. Um, but I couldn't turn that one down. So like, I'm, like the short answer is that it's word of mouth, and obviously, you know, you need to be really, really good at what you do. Yeah. Um, I, I take a lot of pride in compositing, and I I like to think that I I really try to go above and beyond to make things look believable and look clean. Um, because, like for instance, if you see like a TV show that doesn't have a big budget, even your sort of lay person nowadays can be like something. Something's quite, off. <laughs> yeah, that sky looks weird. You know. So yeah, I you know it's funny that you say that too because uh, I. I love visual effects. It's something that I'm, I'm never like into. And I, I, the best composite work is the composite work that you never notice. And it's like one of those frustrating things. You're just like, wait, that, that wasn't, that wasn't real. Like that shot. That's all it was, was a bunch of green screen or blue screen or whatever they use these days. Or like, you know, and you're, you're sitting there and it's cool because now like uh, everyone knows like a uh, YouTube corridor, uh, corridor digital, which a lot of people go, Oh yeah, they're, they're doing all these great, you know, VFX shots and doing all the compositing and, you know, talking about this stuff. But what they're really doing is for people that have no idea what it is, letting you see what goes into doing that work, doing the grunt work. Cause good God tracking. If you don't track your shots, right then everything is off. Like I thought I was just going to do something simple with a, a video. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I know how to use like after effects and premieres. So this is simple. And like eight hours later, I was like, great. 
I think I got it. And then I was like, I, everything was just like off. And I, I kept looking at it and everyone that would see it, they were like, oh, that, that's, that's pretty good that you did that yourself. I was like, but it doesn't look right. I, I want it to look right. I don't want it to look good. I want it to look right. <laughs> so when you are good at it, it's like, yeah, I could see you definitely being a commodity then. <laughs> yeah, I also have like a, I, I think I'm a little obsessive compulsive and um, I think it takes that type of personality to really get crazy about these little details that even even people you're working with don't notice or, or they do, but they're like, who cares? But it gets so crazy to the point where I have to get it perfect. And now as I get older, I'm realizing that the industry is changing and people don't care so much about perfection. But uh, when I first started, I mean, it needed to, like, it needed to convince, you needed to convince yourself that it was real. And if you could do that, like, you really nail it. If you can look back at something a month later and be like, wait a minute, did I? I can't remember. Is that real or fake? That's when you know you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it, something kind of rang with me when you, when you said that it's kind of like a, a meditation, like a Zen thing. I, I get the same way. It's very cathartic when I do photo restoration and digital, you know, digitally, because I can sit there for three, four hours with a photo that's nothing but scratches and then come out with a a photo, you know, it's like, yeah, this is the person that was in that photo. Like, how did you do that? Like, I can't explain it to you, but just enjoy that. I did it for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same. Really, that's exactly the same thing. Yeah, and it's always like, and you always notice like the little things that might have slipped by, be like, oh, like his eye is just a little off, but no one, no one notices, but you do. (laughs) But yeah, so it's like the same thing. It's that that um, it's almost obsessive, especially it it is. It's an obsessive compulsive thing. and when I start a, a, a project like that, I'm like, I don't want to leave it until I'm finished or until at a milestone. I'm like, okay, I want to get the face done today. Yeah. And so, you know, four hours will go by. I'm like, I got the face done, but I really want to work a little more. <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's you have to pick uh, between going to sleep or not. Yeah. That, <laughs> I, I've, as I've gotten older, I've learned to um, pick sleep finally. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, I don't know how and you know my wife even says she's like I don't know how you live uh, by running on like two or three hours of sleep because that's what I used to do all the time I'd be up until you know two three in the morning and go to bed and then wake up a few hours later and have coffee and breakfast and get back to it and she's, she's like how are you functioning and honestly, I don't think I was. So, <laughs> but yeah, sleep is very important. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm feeling the same way. I try to get seven hours if I if I can, but um, I'm, I've always been under the impression that it doesn't matter. Like the more you work, the crazier you get. The more crazy ideas you get, and you know, I went through school like that, and mo- all most of us did. Um, when we study art, you just kind of go, you kind of lose your mind uh, by the end of the whatever semester or year or, or program. And uh, to me, it was kind of addicting, and I kind of liked sort of that 
work ethic. Um, but that's also like a problem now in the industry because they try to use that in a way to like yeah to stay late because they know you love what you do so much. Um, but that's changing now, actually, finally. Um, maybe because of COVID and everything that's happened, but people are now being like, you know what? No, I, I actually don't want to work a 14-hour day. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, you know, because the 14 hours is a lot of the day just doing that <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, you know, kind of like to jump around for a second here. Um, what... It's like a, out of left field. What convinced you to, to take your camera and start documenting uh, her Superstorm Sandy at the time? Oh, um, <laughs> that's another one that goes back to childhood. Uh, when I lived, maybe it was the movie Twister. Maybe uh, I lived in Florida for a year, and I was obsessed with uh, tornadoes. My father woke me up once to drive me to the beach to show me a few water spouts that were going um, deep in the distance. And yeah, I don't know if it's like part of being an adrenaline junkie, um, loving nature, the power of nature. It's probably a combination of all of them. Um, so when Hurricane Sandy hit New York, um, I tried to film the one prior. Uh, I forgot oh, yeah, what, the- what her name was. Yeah. Uh, it was based on a song. Uh, Anyways, uh, well, it wasn't based on a song, but it was a famous song with the name. Uh, so I got a camera. I had a Canon Mark III uh, from school that was kind of sitting in my room. And I said, well, Sandy's coming. I'm going outside, uh, like 100% going outside. And <laughs> actually, at the time, my my ex-girlfriend at the time uh, was really not happy with it. And was, like, <laughs> threatening to to leave me if I was going to be that stupid, which, you know, she had every right to feel that way. But yeah. I went and did it anyway, and I'm glad I did. Um, although, well, the question, so your question is what? Um, I just, yeah, I wanted to be around it. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to document it. I wanted to um, finally, for the first time in my life, experience, you know, the strength and power of a hurricane because I lived in Florida for a year, and I never – saw one um yeah i don't know it's a tough answer man yeah you know what's funny is i I lived in florida for for 10 years and i saw well technically i I guess i i've been i went through two but one was more of a direct hit and i was like i thought it was all the time but i guess it's not (laughs) but you know it, it i think it Really, it, the adrenaline, it, it is a combination of everything. Because if you love nature, nature is amazing. Like, there's nothing better than going out in the middle of nowhere and just taking it all in. But the power of how fucked up everything can get how so fast. Um, because I, that was what I remember most from that storm. Because at the time, I was living up in Albany. And... I remember you were posting some of the the footage online and it was mind blowing because no, no one had footage. Everyone was just like really shitty phone cams. Cause this was, you know, 2012, 
when, when was Sandy again? 2010? Yeah, I think that was 2012. Yeah, it was, it was around there. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like every once in a while you'd see something pop up on Facebook and it was like just a really crappy cell phone photo, you know, cell phone video with just everything was all pixelated and garbage. And then I remember your, your footage and being like, holy crap, this is better looking than like what a lot of people are are showing because everyone else was like showing it from the safety of, you know, across the river or just far away. (laughs) And there you were, because at the time, were you, were you in Brooklyn at the time? Yeah, I was in a, yeah, Williamsburg. Yeah. So that was the craziest thing is watching you just walking through the streets of with water up to how deep was that water? Cause it looked like it was, it started out nothing. And then all of a sudden it just seemed to get higher and higher. Yeah, it was, um, by me, it was, uh, I think altogether the surge was, I don't know, somewhere between 12 and 17 feet. But by me, it was, we we're on a bit of a hill. Uh, we have a bit of an incline. So I think by my apartment, it was about three, two, three, two feet-ish. Wow. Um, but because we were on a hill, it got cut off pretty, pretty fast because um, the water came up over the, over, the, over the river, and then it just kind of flattened out anywhere that was not higher ground, obviously. And, yeah, and I was, yeah, I was running around in it, and I was being a little irresponsible. Probably didn't have the best gear, but... <laughs> but... You got probably one of the most iconic shots from that storm. <laughs> um, yeah. That, and for for those that don't know, like every time that any time that I see something about Sandy, the shot of that you took of the 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 power substation, and it was in Manhattan that blew up basically, right? Yeah, and it was so insane looking like i i've never seen anything like that just because you know who has (laughs) so when you saw that like did you what were you feeling when you saw like this this flash and then all of a sudden you know everything just kind of went dark over there (laughs) Yeah, that's a. People always ask me how did I film it, so I I just kind of, I was kind of filming the flood and people, young. There's a lot of young kids out there just kind of goofing off and, you know, the storm the storm had already kind of passed and it was just flooding at that point, Um, and I was just filming kids kind of playing or walking towards the pier and I just honestly it was pure luck based on trying to roll the camera as much as I could, but it really was luck and then i just saw a flash and i honestly i kind of blacked out at that point I, <laughs> all i remember was that i somehow kept the camera still for 30 seconds still ish and captured it all and I, I i even remember someone asking me like did you catch that did you catch that and i and i responded like yeah yeah i did what the so um yeah i, I kind of blacked out and like, <laughs> whatever, something else took over and just allowed me to at least keep the shot uh, because it's so difficult to 
hold on to, to shots like that, especially with like a DSLR camera, you know, iPhones and smartphones, it's so much easier now. You just hold it up and it pretty much yeah. floats in your hand. But yeah. yeah. You, you were doing that with like without a gimbal or anything, right? That was just like you were holding the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I probably had a strap around my neck. That's typically wow. how I shoot. I use that at least for some stability, but. I'm pretty sure I had it lower, lower this time because I, I was kind of just mesmerized by it or in awe of slash shock. So at one point I might have not even been looking through the viewfinder; it just was rolling. Um, wow. I mean, it's crazy to to think about it because what if I like you know how many times I was out filming, especially like you know the past couple of years, all the craziness that's happened, and sometimes just don't ever hit record or. I stop recording because I'm nervous or I feel like yeah. I'm intruding. And this time I just didn't. Thank God. Cause you know, my life but, would have been very different. if I yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause because uh, of that footage, I mean, what branched off from there? Cause I, I know, I, I know just recently you were talking about that, that somebody, um, the CBS picked it up for something. Oh, so, uh, yeah, 60 Minutes used it in one of their, their they had some some sh segment about um, the power grid and terrorism against grids and stuff. <laughs> so they used it as like, a, hey, this is what happens when mother, mother Nature, you know, causes disasters now. And then they went, I guess it went on to talk about cyber attacks and stuff, which is all relevant to what's going on now. But yeah, um, what really went from there? Well... I'll be honest. Um, well, for one, I, I got to be in National Geographic, which was really fun. Um, That's awesome. So I got to do an exclusive. I, I kind of sold the rights exclusively exclusively to them for a week um, until they finished the segment. But, yeah, they came here, and I kind of went into, like, character. I played, like, a kind of italian brooklyn you know goomba i was, <laughs> I was so nervous so i just kind of went in character and tried to make it tried to try to make myself feel comfortable because it was it was such an extreme day afterwards um, oh yeah um but the main thing it really did for me is it helped me pay off my student loan <laughs> oh man that's the one thing every artist wants to do <laughs> I mean, it really paid off a lot of my student money, my, and I went to a you know pretty expensive um, graduate program, and I sold the rights to pretty much anyone and anything. I don't even know if there's anything left that I could sell it to. I sold it to you know National Geographic, all Weather Channel, all of the the main networks. I sold it to. It was even in a Hollywood big budget movie recently with. Um, about alien invasions, I forgot the name of it already. But uh, um, with the guy from um, the Marvel movie, uh, help me out here. <laughs> um, yeah, the the guy. You know, there's a, yeah. a, a, a thousand. The, um, oh, oh, um, uh, was it the one that was on Amazon? Yeah, it was like a time travel. Yeah, movie. yeah, that where one. they all like fell out of the sky. Why can't I remember the name of that? <laughs> And I can't remember the name of him, but I said he was in Jurassic Park. He's the Star Lord from the yeah, <laughs> Guardians. Yeah. I honestly, and anyone's listening to this right now, is literally yelling at their speakers, going, "What the, <laughs> what the fuck, guys?" Yeah, so this is a this is a 
common problem I have as an artist. I don't remember titles <sighs> and people's names, but nope. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like one of the one of the so that was really cool. That was like last year, but it's weird. Like every every like May, April, May, June, I get all of these requests because it's like hurricane season's coming and um, global warming talks become you know I don't know more popular in the summer. Um, <laughs> I don't really. And I, you know, I even sold it to Werner Herzog. I don't know if you know him, but he's a yeah. sort of super famous you know, experimental documentary filmmaker. And I mean, he, yeah, Werner Herzog is amazing. Uh, he's also like one of the funniest uh, <laughs> Germans that I've ever like had to. I never got. I got to meet him one time a long time ago, and I, I don't know if it was after, after he did like a uh, Grizzly Man or the. Uh, the one with the bear and yeah yeah the grizzly man was it yeah. grizzly man or grizzly? yeah grizzly yeah and he was at some he was at, he was doing something in where I was and I was like well I was, I just want to go meet him and he was just he was really like standoffish but then like as he was talking he was just busting chops the whole time but you didn't realize he was until you're like wait mm-hmm. he's poking fun at everyone here this is this is this is he he's got a dark sense of humor but he makes some of the most amazing documentaries like yeah. I, even like uh that one with all the cave paintings i would have never have been interested in something right. like that and then i was like gripped by it and i was like i i want to go to france to to these caves now i was like i want to see all this stuff like what the hell is it <laughs> like <laughs> I saw that in 3D, I think, yeah. Oh, wow. That was his first, like, attempt at making 3D. Oh, um, yeah. So stereoscopic. I, I, well, I, hopefully he, uh, and there's, like, obviously, you have no idea what he would be using it for, but yeah. uh, hopefully it, come, it comes out soon, and we'd be like, hey, look. <laughs> well, he, no, the footage uh, he bought from me, he'd used in, um, he made a movie about the internet. Um, it was kind of an odd film, but it was like sort of like a weird history, experimental history lesson on the internet and what it what it's done to society. It was, um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't. I don't remember it being the the my favorite of his films. But anyway, see, I sold it to him, and I remember on the phone with the producer, and he was like, "Hey, we'll offer you this amount." And I remember saying, "Well." How about this? So I was like, how about you get me a lunch with him um, and I'll give it to you for free. And um, and he laughed on the phone and he said, you know, if I had a you know a dollar for every time someone asked that, he's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I was like, all right, well, it was worth a shot. Yeah. yeah. You, you never know unless you try. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that man... No, that would be uh, an even crazier story. But like, yeah, I gave him my footage, and then I got to go have lunch for him. But it it would be in my head how it would go is instead of like this this great lunch at a place is like you you meet him at a McDonald's and yeah. you like you just sit down and over chicken nuggets and <laughs> pick his brain. Yeah. <laughs> so when when you're approaching. A documentary, and I, I kind of preface this because I, I want to talk a little about Pine Bush and why you thought it was so interesting. 
Um, I mean, anyone that's grown up there and that's gotten out of there at some point in their life knows why Pine Bush is so interesting. Um, a lot of the people that live there and never left just think it's Pine Bush. But when, what is like the thought process of going, I, I need to tell this story and like, how, how did that even start? And I know you're not done with, with Pine Bush yet, but like, what, what was the thing that kind of like flipped in your brain that says, I, I need the, the world needs to know about this town. Um, I was always kind of amazed by our town. Um, and I, it's funny, I, even when I was 16, I, I, I heard myself on, on mini DV tape, uh, I was at a hotel party and I, I was looking through old tapes and I, I heard myself say, one day I'm going to make a film about pine bush and it's going to be about, you know, the aliens and UFOs. But, um, so maybe there was something once again, like deeply embedded, um, in me. But, you know, the, the sort of genesis of this film is a little complex, but I'll, I'll try to make it um, simple. So I like to perform, and I heard that the UFO fair, which Pine Bush has yearly now, was, was in town. It was like the third year, and I was like, what the, the what? <laughs> and um, so I, like, freaked out, and I was like, I, I got to do something. I was like, I, I developed sort of a weird alien that I painted myself into. Um, I, I guess you can call it cosplay-ish now, even though I, I wasn't even, I didn't even know what cosplay was back then. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to show up there and I'm going to just film and make this weird Charlie Chaplin kind of alien visits Pine Bush and he's kind of revisiting his past. And it's kind of, it was supposed to be kind of a comedy um, so I did that one year, and then, like, life got in the way, and work got in the way, and um, a lot of friends and people I grew up with um, started passing away from heroin and pills, and it just got really bad in Pine Bush, as many suburban towns during, uh, this is around 2014-ish, 13. Yeah. And... Um, it was Easter morning. My wife, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she sent me an article from um, a book she was reading. Uh, and I can never remember anything when it comes to books, but if I remember, I'll, I'll tell you. But uh, it basically was talking about plants, and I don't know, there was something really interesting the way it, it, it spoke about heroin and... Um, what was it? Whatever I was reading, I'm I'm really sorry that I don't have like the best description on it, but whatever I was reading made me think of the body snatchers, invasion of the body snatchers. And I don't know if it's because the heroin poppy seed, um, but the passage that she sent me um, made me think of that. And so right there, everything just kind of fired in my brain. I realized that I don't want to be making a comedy about uh, an alien coming to town. I want to make the reality of it. And I started thinking about heroin and addiction as sort of an alien invasion in Pine Bush mm. and how it really was an invasion. Um, so I started interviewing and doing a lot of interviews with people that I knew that were suffering. Um, 
And that's kind of where it left off. Um, it's been evolving and, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about because it's one of the hardest things I've ever made. Um, yeah. I'm working on it for seven years now and I still, so I still can't really, I still can't figure it out. And the main reason why is because it's a fiction and a documentary blend. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that was like super hip and I was really excited and I was like, that's going to be awesome. And then I realized it's like really complex to pull off. <laughs> um, so that's where I'm at um, right now. Um, I am still working on it, um, but at the moment I'm not because I'm working on something else. But <laughs> Sorry, that was kind of a roundabout answer. Hopefully you can no, cut it on that. <laughs> no, no, that that's actually, it's, uh, that's, that's the kind of answer I, w I was looking for because it's, I, I try to tell people all the time that, you know, sometimes when you're inspired to do something and you start going down that rabbit hole, and no matter what it is, especially when it is something like that uh, and how prevalent it was, uh, it still is in, you know, Orange County in general. Um, for those that listen that are not from New York, yes, they're Orange County, New York, not California. Yeah. Um, and it, how prevalent it, it is. And I was actually just up there um, in August to visit my brother. And that was the one thing I noticed. Like I went into town and I went to Stewart's because that's what you do. And <laughs> I've been around en enough addicts and, and junkies to know when I see them and there's still a lot of people that are in the grips and it's it's kind of um, a good way to put it is it's complex just like adding you know documentary elements to a work of fiction and getting them to melt because everyone thinks about pine bush and they think about this little hamlet in the middle of nowhere at the base of the Schwangup mountains where you're like, okay, it's a little tiny town. Everyone knows each other. It, it's like, leave it to beaver. And then in reality, it's not, um, it's, it's, and if it is like, leave it to beaver, it's, it's a very, demented and twisted version of leave it to beaver where it's it's one of those things that the story needs to be told and i, I know you're going to figure it out it's, even if it takes you like another 10 years but <laughs> but i i i can't wait to see that especially because it, it's gonna kind of shed light on something that a lot of people don't like to talk about um and you know there's and you're right especially that time there was so many people there was way too many funerals there's yeah. and it felt weird because i remember talking to a few friends that i was like um this doesn't seem right because you know we were just you know barely into our 30s and all of our friends are starting to drop like flies so like what the fuck's going on and uh and no one really talked about it. So it's, uh, it was like the start of, of an invasion, just like you said. And it was like a really, it's, it's a shitty invasion that you, you don't realize it's happening until it's too late. So, but I'm, yeah. 
Just to, um, I just want to clear up what I was trying to do. Um, so William S. Burroughs, uh, the book Junkie, um, is where the inspiration came from. Me and my wife at the time were reading it. Um, this is like my one reason why I like reading is a problem with me because I can't fucking remember. Sorry, I'm person, but I can't remember. Uh, fine. Um, like, yeah, just, I'm really, I have a bad memory. I think all of my memory is taken up with thousands of hours of footage and ideas that, <laughs> But yeah, the, the, the passage is like about plants and addiction and pain and um, that's where the spark went off because um, to go back at it, I'm, I, like, I like talking about it because it helps me understand. Mm-hmm. But one of the most interesting parts of filming this is that I started finding all these really abandoned locations in upstate New York and the story started evolving even more because um, it became a little more post-apocalyptic and I had all these amazing sets that were right there. Mm. Um, that I didn't have to recreate, but at the same time, it was sort of symbolic of what was happening to like a lot of, you know, suburbia, yeah. um, country towns that they were you know, slowly decaying from the inside. So that's kind of the whole idea that I'm really excited to get on, you know, get out. Uh, I think it's actually going to be a short now um, because it's too complex. Um, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I I'm. I'm look really looking forward to it just just because I I mean yes because I grew up there uh that's the yeah. main reason uh and then you know I always love your work cuz you've you've done some really way out there shit <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because I love experimental uh you know art and I love when you just kind of like this is where my brain's going I'm going <laughs> to take it and this is go with it and see where it takes us. <laughs> so, like, what was the um, you worked? No, was it a just this, this is uh this is probably why I should start doing notes before I <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> uh, was it uh so Zorgon? Zor- oh, zero gun, zero gun, yeah, zero gun, zero gun. There we go. Yeah, in my head, I saw a Z and a Gon, and that was it. Um, <laughs> but like that is another short that, if anyone sees it, like um, well, besides starring in it, uh, which holy shit, by the way, <laughs> the, oh, yeah. that was that was amazing. Um, what other parts did you have in the creation of that? That one I did with one of my really good friends who is a CG artist. Um, so personally, I we kind of wrote the script together. Um, I was the guy who edited it. I did the compositing of all the visual effects, the CG stuff that my, my good friend Josh Plans uh, created. Um, I did the audio, the sound mixing. Mm. I did... Um, the music we purchased off some of those, like, you know, film sites. Um, the color correction, um, obviously the acting. Um, the previs we did as well. Well, me and my buddy worked on that together, but we basically built the edit prior in 3D um, and edited it so that we had a pretty clear idea of what we were going to end up with. Um, character designs, you know, drawings. It was really me and him. That's 16 hours a day for two months, you know, <laughs> in my room. 
Oh my god. It was pretty awesome. That and for anyone, I'm, I'm gonna be putting links in the in the uh, episode description to wherever I can find because a lot of your stuff is on not on YouTube, but the other one, the Daily Vimeo. Motion Vimeo. That's it. I was like, not Daily Motions, it's a different site <laughs> altogether. <laughs> like, what the hell am I thinking about? But yeah, on Vimeo. So I'll, I'll be throwing up a, a link to all, to all that stuff because anyone that loves design and loves artistic expression can truly enjoy that short just because it is uh in my eyes it was like the perfect it was like the perfect um i'm trying to think of the phrase it's the perfect like analogy of kind of what curiosity could do (laughs) it's like oh this everything is beautiful this beautiful thing this wonderful light and you're 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 like ah oh, this is going to be great and then i'm not going to spoil any of it and it's just funny like i can i'm going off of last time i saw it was probably a few years ago now and it still sticks in my head just seeing how focused you were and how great the character that you played was and the story that is hiding in this little short it was this you know beautiful effects and wonderful like the the (laughs) so i have to ask you like how much was makeup and how much was digital on you well obviously the body was probably digital i don't think (laughs) that was (laughs) yeah actually uh nothing um so yeah it was all makeup um my head was uh, had a bald head so that we put a bald cap on I had a makeup artist actually from Middletown um, help me with that and painted my body. And the only thing I might have tweaked uh, tweaked digitally would be my eyes in a few shots where I make them look a little more surreal. Um, Yeah. Good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When, see, that's, that's what I, I love that you were able to, to make things like that because a lot of people will have an idea and they just, they kind of just kind of like let it die. And it's frustrating, especially when, you know, talented people that do that. It's, yeah. it's really frustrating because you can't convince them otherwise that's, but you know that they have these things inside of them that you're like, ah, oh, great. Now this is like a, an interesting segue. Cause that, that short always, comes up in my head when um i kind of like wander into the new space that i'm in in the nft space um it is a very confusing space i I, you know the last guest i had on she's a photojournalist her name's uh, leslie spurlock and she is a great photographer and she's been in the space for a while and she sold a whole bunch of her photos but what I'm very interested is, have you ever thought of taking anything that you've done into that space? So I haven't really gotten involved with NFTs directly. Um, I've known about them for quite some time. I've, you know, I'm heavily sort of involved and interested in the whole crypto space as a whole, but 
it's weird because I I grew up uh, well as as I was learning visual effects there was these people online that would be posting these CG loops and these you know these gifs and these and I don't know somehow it that's what became NFTs, uh, or at least that's what made it popular. And it's kind of a strange space because I don't really know a lot of the times what people are trying to sell me. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I <laughs> like a lot of the work that's being made. Yeah. But I do know as the technology, I'm extremely interested in it because, um, for instance, I, I filmed a lot of the, the protests and, that happened in the past two years, hundreds and hundreds of hours of all kinds of stuff, all different political spectrums. And to me, like I, I can see NFTs playing a larger role for me in the future when possibly I want to put up hundreds of hours of really amazing footage and mm. let sort of the blockchain and the technology handle all of that for me and yeah. possibly, you know, rent it, sell it, license it. Um, without a middleman uh, like Getty Images or something. That's the most interesting part for me. As far as like creating, like my friend, we talk about this a lot because I have friends that are making stuff. As far as like making art for it, I, I personally have no desire. Hmm. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I, I get commercial work that pays, you know, bills enough to where I don't need to sort of innovate and find other ways. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in the end, it's you want to sell your work. Um, and it's another sort of, it's another uh, world that you can sell your work in, which is great for artists. Yeah, um, it, it's really great for artists just because they don't have to deal with other, like, they, there's no, all right, I got to get into a gallery. Great, I have to pay to get into the gallery. And then I have to get everyone that might be interested into that gallery to see my work. It's like, it's... It's really cool for artists in, in the, the way that it's like it's direct and the platform itself is much broader than anything that most artists could do. Um, yeah. And that, that was like the big thing I've been what I've been taking away. It's like I went really hard in in January. I'm like, all right, I'm going to sell some, you know, some of my uh, photo series that I've done over the years. I'm going to put them up. And then. I kind of realized that it's not so much that people don't like the artwork or that they don't want to buy it. Um, it's more finding communities of the types of people that collect your type of art. So I've, I'm flabbergasted by some of the shit that goes up there, but you know, everyone flipped out when people sold one for 69 million last year. Uh, you know, obviously that's, that's the end of the spectrum. That's insanity. There's not probably going to be any other artist that really does that kind of sale in that space, but there are groups of people that are doing really good things for artists. And that's, that's the part that's the big part that I like. I, for the first time in my life, I'm actually getting recognition for my artwork by other artists and art collectors. Have I sold anything yet? No. Am I mad? No, not really. I mean, I have other means to, to, to pay the bills, but 
what I'm finding is I'm making connections that I didn't think um, I would be able to make, like um, finding these people that, you know, all over the world that are looking for like, oh, I, I loved your work for this. Can you, you know, could you do like another uh, series like this? Or could you maybe edit something for me? Or there's been a lot of like behind the scenes, like, oh, this is all the art is over here. Here's the photos. Here's, you know, the animated GIFs and all, all the nonsense. But on the other side here, it's like, everyone's like, hey, you're really cool. Let's sit and chat for like 20, 30 minutes and, and see how we could help each other in what we're doing and that that's what i've been really digging in this space and then of course then i make friends with some of these people that are selling their photos and making like a quarter million per photo so it's kind of kind of insane but you know whatever people pay people pay but i i'm really digging the community aspect of it um because it weeds out the really fake and shitty people really fast which in the art world, there's a lot of those fake and shitty people. I've been to enough gallery showings. I've been to enough things like that where I can't stand the people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, like, I, I look at crypto and NFTs when people are like, well, what do you think? I say, well, I think it's Atari um, mm -hmm. or Nintendo right now. Um, and we have to wait a long time before it's, PlayStation Five. Yeah. Um, I think it needs to mature, and I think yes, it needs to weed out all the crap and the people that are just producing massive amounts of garbage and, and hopes that one thing sells and trying to create these, you know, communities because it really is about communities. But some of these communities are sometimes aren't very positive communities, or yeah. they're just, you know, they're just hype. But um. I'm really excited about it, um, personally, and maybe not even for me, but just for artists and society in general, to where, like, artists for the first time in history are, like, there might, it just might be normalized. Um, it might take a whole generation, but, you know, the same way, like, kids, when you say, hey, you ever use a landline, they kind of look at you like you're crazy, or when you call them, if I call a 20-year-old friend of mine, why are you calling me? And it's, that's what I think we need to get at to the point where people are like, you're not stealing music anymore. Now you're buying it on Spotify. You're not downloading movies anymore. You're now paying for Netflix. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not disrespecting and stealing people's artwork and putting it, using it in your movie. You're actually just clicking a button and paying them whatever it is, $10 in whatever currency. And you you give them the respect they deserve and you now have something for yourself. I think that's where we're going and I hope yeah. we head there. Yeah, I, I really, th I think we are. Um, after talking to Leslie, I've, I, I even, I kind of noticed, and she said something that, that kind of, it stuck with me when she said it. She's like, I have gone to numerous showings for other photographers mm -hmm. and I have never spent anything at any of those galleries for any of those artists. Whereas in this space, when I see something that I really like, I am spending twice as much as I would have spent if I did buy something at a gallery, but I not only am I enjoying it because I enjoy the, the work, I'm directly supporting that artist. And I think once that concept 
is really starts kicking in because everyone keeps looking at crypto as like some fad. I'm like, it's been around for 14 years now. It's not a fad anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, understand that this is going to be the way that we do commerce. This is going to be our jobs now. We're not going to have like typical jobs. We're going to be able to create and do the things that we want to do instead of the things that we have to do. Like I have to get a job where I'm working nine to five and have a boss and all this stuff to, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a creative person. I do paintings and like, I, there's this art collector in Hong Kong that really loves my stuff. And he basically just gave me enough money to live for the year without having to worry. So it's, it's like you said, it is at the Atari stage. It's very rudimentary. Everyone's looking at it as just black and white. It's going to be a while until especially the nft thing even in the past three years it's gone from like this is weird to this is incredibly like terrifying because of the amount of people in the space just dumping shit onto the blockchain yeah and they're doing it in hopes that they'll sell something and that that that's not the point (laughs) like the the greatest thing in the nft space unfortunately with everything that happened in ukraine um you know they were unable to like use their credit cards there's all the banks were you know closed and all the systems were down except for crypto so the amount of eth going in and out of ukraine to get things done to to pay people to buy things for them like they're it's astronomical and even within the country like hey like i i grabbed a whole bunch of uh food like here we can split it up just you know there's no venmo because that's not working there (laughs) so people are just like yeah uh i have my crypto wallet i can just you know I can just transfer whatever coins that we have and just we'll work on this way because it's, it's a much more stable <laughs> currency than what they have right now. So, yeah, it's, all, it's very, it's, yeah, it's very insane when all that started, started happening. Um, you know, I guess I, I haven't followed it too much, but I'm assuming because they, they still had mobile access, um, that it was easier to move money back and forth, crypto move back and forth, because if the banking systems are down and the cyber attacks shut everything down, then you obviously can't access your bank accounts or or the banks were so you couldn't even get into a bank or the ATM machines were destroyed or turned off. So, yeah, it's been really insane watching that unravel, and it's just another sort of test um, that crypto is going through. Um, and, you know, it's going to keep going through do them until the point until the US and other major countries decide that it's time to actually start taking you seriously, which it seems like it's, it's happening. Um, yeah. Uh, the, now. People are starting. Yeah. People are starting to look at it here that they're, I, it's even to the point where I've had people that are, um, you know, like my parents age that, that I like run into here that will 
be talking about, I'll overhear them talking about it. Uh, they might not have the right information, but they are actually talking about cryptocurrency. Um, and just like an old person, everything's Bitcoin to them. So no matter what it is. So it's just like back in the day, everything was a Nintendo, even if it was a Sega Genesis or a PlayStation, it's, it's a <laughs> Nintendo. <laughs> so, but I like that it's coming out of their mouths. That means that it, if they're, if it's on their radar, then it's going to be on everyone's radar. And if we can get it to be a normal thing here, it, I just don't want the government to come in and try to like shit on it and basically fuck it up for the U.S. <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. Like, yeah, I, it's a tough call. Um, what's happening? But I, I, I always tend to think of. I always, when people ask me what what is crypto, I always say it's a. I always say it's a cyberpunk stock market. But uh, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good way to. That eventually will be the normal, which will be the the future stock market, and the and the, the old traditional markets will just be all raveled up into one giant system. But um, that's, but like um, as far as regulation goes, um, I don't know if they're gonna regulate hard because I think most politicians at this point and people in you know, banks and everyone they're already in it, they're already invested in it. No one. Obviously, a lot of them, I, this is my theory, a lot of them are already in it and they don't want to regulate it because obviously they want to make money. So I think they're going to be very careful about how, you know, you, I'm sure you read it, you know, you don't want to stifle the innovation and, and prevent, you know, the U.S. from missing the boat. Um, like, you know, for instance, like we didn't, we didn't miss the boat for the Internet when Web 1 and 2. Yeah. And the big fear is that we're going to miss the boat for Web three, and that could be detrimental to you know futuristic future jobs in the U.S. and um, I mean across the globe. But I don't really look at it like that because I just think eventually it's just going to be like you said, uh, the new commerce and global commerce. And one of the most interesting things I heard was someone speaking. I forgot who it was, um, but he was saying that like. Middle town America, these small town Americas, like you're not going to have to go work at, you know, the Radio Shack or the mall um, because you could be working in the virtual world. Um, I personally don't. It's a tough world to imagine, and maybe we just need new technology to really make it easier than wearing a headset. But, you know, they talk about you're going to eventually have brands that, you know, you're selling your avatars and. And, and to like, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to live in a world like that. We're not going to live in a world like that. I'm like, we already live in a world like that. It's, it's two-dimensional. Yeah, it's, we, we're there already. I mean, it's the only thing that's, that would change is that you could go and be, go anywhere and do anything instead of being stuck. Because that's yeah. what, that's what's, that's what stops the majority of the world's population is that you're stuck where you are because you might not have means to get out of where you are. But if you have access to the internet, then you could be anywhere and you can be anyone. So it's, it, I you would can do any job. Yeah. You and can that, race cars for, you can race cars for a, a gaming, a game where, you know, it's people are betting money on car racing. I mean, I can go on and on about what you can, design clothes you could 
you know, I have theme parks. Yeah. Um, I don't really play in that world. I got a little involved with it with like um, a few of the, the more popular ones in the crypto space, like Sandbox and Decentraland. I, I played around with them for a while. I mean, they're great. They're fun. They're cool. <clears throat> I'm just not someone who wants to be in that world, but I, I think um, there's a lot of people in it already, and they're building all kinds of amazing stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, they they are, and that's what I like. I. I I love it. I don't want to be in that world either, but I do want them to buy my art for their world. <laughs> and, that, and that's a big thing. Like I bet there was a, a collector that had their gallery up and like, it was huge and everyone was in it just walking around looking at all the NFTs that the, he's collected and not any of the like functional NFTs or, or, collectible NFTs, like actual art mm -hmm. and there was like a 2000 images that were in this gallery and some of it was you know some was 3d some was you know some animated gifts some was um actual just traditional photos and digital drawings and and i kind of just was taken aback by it all but then I thought about it. I'm like, this is no different than somebody that has a lot of money in, in outside of this space, hoarding all these treasures in their house. But th this way people can go see it. And, you know, if they like art, it's cool. But, but, you know, this guy spent a few million dollars on artwork and it's really it's no different than spending a few million dollars on a painting in real life. Yeah. So it's, um, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Uh, it there's this unlimited application for it coming in down the future. I mean, once we get past the, the initial stages where we are and it's just going to keep opening up and, it's 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 really going to be a beautiful thing for artists and it's that's in my opinion that's going to be the most important thing because uh, artists have been shit on for centuries <laughs> so, yes, yeah. so and the fact that now artists are making money while they're alive and not after they're dead is is pretty awesome <laughs> and it's commercializing art too which is a good and bad thing but yeah. You know, when I go back to NFTs, like the thing I'm most interested in is, is like when when the technology gets there, like when AI and um, for specifically AI gets to a point where, you know, you create an image and if someone uses it in anything, whether it's a film they create or something they build in 3D, that it be between the blockchain and AI, it could be identified. You know. Yeah, you know, so that your work isn't being stolen and it's being respected. And but the other the other idea is that it'll get to the point where it won't matter how much you sell it for because if you know if a lot of people are purchasing one item for five dollars, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to do really well. So, but it's more about the licensing. And I when when they get to a point where it's that advanced, because I know it's still rudimentary, but I want to know that like yeah, my artwork. My films, my 
my footage, my even social media can just sort of yeah, it can be traded and and sold and used in commercial and films, and you you don't have to do much, but like you know, yeah. approve and port yeah, it. Exactly, and, and I, that that's I think that's one of the biggest goals too. And you know, everyone wants. Somebody brought up the in um in a Twitter space recently that. Uh, the the big question was is, is uh, are NFTs going to become like uh, the new stock photography or stock uh, like B roll footage or like all the stock houses that people license stuff like that? I'm like not not entirely, yeah. But, but yes, but no. That's a it's yes we that will be a thing, but it's not going to be what it's going to be. It's it's going to be a tiny facet of all the different things like licensing it by far would be the best because there's i'm in a, a very different space with my dogs because they have huge following on instagram makes no sense i still <laughs> i still don't understand how it happened like they get offers all the time for people to use their their videos or their, their photos and we get brands that contact us to do work and that's great, but I would like to not have to deal with that and just have it on the blockchain and then have a licensing agreement that's automatically, that transaction automatically happens. They really like that thing. They license it. I get paid for it. They use it. That's it. Like it, It's going to speed up society as a whole when it gets to that point. Yeah, but, lawyers will make less money, but good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They've been uh, making too that, much. That's, that's some of the like going back to like my Sandy footage is, you know, the, the amount of contracts I had to read and the I had to like teach myself all of this jargon um, <clears throat> just so I could feel comfortable when I was signing something um, because I didn't really want to spend two grand on a lawyer each time someone offered me you know, 1500 to license the footage. So, you know, I had to teach all my stuff this and it took a lot of time and it was very stressful and people would steal it. And, you know, AP news like used it in a Hulu show and I somehow caught it and I had to like threaten them. And, you know, eventually they just like bought me out and were like, and I was like, okay, well, all right. I'll all take right. It. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's not really about stock footage. It's more about, um, you know, and that's what crypto has been designed for, you know, like, I mean, not for that, but, but you know, smart contracts, yeah, smart contracts and a, and a, in like an indestructible, like uneditable ledger of everything. That's, that's what it's there for. So let's use it for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it for sure. Oh, yeah. um, I, don't know, I don't know how I'm going to, I know I'm going to be doing a lot of commercial work in it. Um, I just saw like crypto.com, <clears throat> the, the U S exchange is like the lead sponsor in the FIFA oh, wow. um, coming up, which is like bonkers. If you ask me, um, yeah. that means there's going to be millions of dollars worth of commercials for crypto.com, which means Coinbase and Gemini and all these other ones are going to be like, whoa, 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 we got to get on this. So 
you know, with billions of people watching FIFA across the world, it's it's a big. It's nothing like the Super Bowl. No, no, that's 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 next level. The world's most popular sport. I mean, you might as well if you're starting to advertise on that. And really, what what's going to happen is people are going to see the advertisements for it when when all the um, all the brokerages like all they're all coming out and and they're like, hey, we're going to advertise. People will see these advertisements and at first be like, what the hell? And all you're going to have to do is just like equate it to like, oh, it's like Visa, MasterCard. It's just, just think of it like that. Just think of it as like a different type of credit card commercial, but not credit because yeah. because that's not a thing in this world. <laughs> it's going to be, God, I can't wait till we get off that system. <laughs> I just got a credit card through Gemini, which is um, kind of, Sorry, I'm just plugging my laptop in. Yeah. Um, there we go. Yeah, it's it's a credit card that gives you rewards in crypto, which is pretty exciting. So that's awesome. You get like three to four percent back instead of dollars back. I just take, you know, Bitcoin or something back. But um, yeah, it's a crazy space. It's it's like a it's like having an, an um being involved in it is like being in an unstable relationship. Um, for the past, you know, six years. Yeah. You know, and then it's getting crazy because, you know, politicians on one side are fighting for it and then the other side they're trying to destroy it and nothing really makes sense anymore. And so I just have faith in the technology and a lot of people don't quite understand that because they're like, but it's just currency. You're just trying to, you know, we replaced the dollar. That's not cool. And I'm like, you really... Yeah, that's that was the foundation, but it's evolved into something much more, much yeah. more complex than that, and it will be in every industry that we're in in the future. Yeah. Maybe we won't call it crypto in the future. No, it will just be currency. <laughs> yeah, or or it'll be technology, or yeah. there'll be brands that were you know. Well, you, know, I, you don't. That 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 was a, an argument I had with somebody that was saying, "Well, it's just replacing the dollar." I'm like, yeah. yeah that would be ideal because unlike uh, the dollar um, I can't just print more of a cryptocurrency. <laughs> like there's, Oh, we need more money. We'll just print more money. Uh, that's how this country got into trouble. <laughs> so the fact that, you know, sure the price might be volatile sometimes and it flies up and down randomly and you know, whatever happens happens. But I don't have to worry that one Bitcoin is always going to be one Bitcoin. Yeah. Like that's like I if I have a dollar now, that dollar is not worth a dollar anymore. It's like now it's worth nothing. It's like now it's worth 80, 84 cents or something, 85 cents. Yeah. And it, it just gets worse and worse as we keep printing more and more money because that's what happens with in here we are with the worst inflation in a while but yeah uh. <laughs> yeah just one more one you know one of the most important things that I, I i have a hard time talking about is a lot of my friends um half of them got into it and there's a lot that are very standoffish and it, it always comes back to it being a libertarian movement originally and also oh. the environment stuff and it's a tough conversation to have, and we don't really have to have it, but it's it's a little more complex than the sort of 
propaganda that's being pushed on everyone. And I, you know, part of me thinks like, hey, if you fall for this stuff now, you're going to miss the boat. Um, you know, and maybe you should do your research. And yeah. Really look into it. But a lot of people don't really want to because it's too, it's really complicated and hard to understand. And it took many, many, many years of, you know, I, I work in technology and I'm a visual effects artist and I, you know, I code when I have to and I have to learn all kinds of new software. So it, it comes a little easier to me. Yeah. And, you know, I also did web development in school. So, you know, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I think the, the, where it has to get for the masses to really adapt to it, it has to become stupid. Yeah. It, like as soon as it becomes like a, like a cell phone, like the smartphones make, you know, the best smartphones are made for idiots. And <laughs> because if an idiot can use it, they can do all the things that they need to do. So if they can make it to a point where, where all of crypto and in the world that that is, if once they make it a little dumber, when we get to a point where it can easily be made dumber for the masses without them fucking it all up. Yeah. So like that's where we're at the precipice because it, I'm seeing more people come into the crypto space that I've never, like I would never imagine. And especially because in the NFT market, like I'm, I'm, I befriended a, um, a 67 year old for film photographer in Spain. And that in itself is just like, okay, that's a strange person that, uh, you know, a 40 year old you know, person would just befriend, but I was looking at his shots and I started talking to him and he's like, yeah, I just kind of, I, he, he sees it. He sees uh -huh. where it's going. He's like, but I am, he's like, I am a photographer. Like he, his work is, you know, it's well known and like, he's made plenty of money selling prints and stuff. And it's been published in all like, basically like the Trinity for, you know, uh, time national geographic and, um, someplace else I forgot the there was like but he's had all these great things but he's like this is just where it's going and I was like could you tell anyone else your age that, to get on board with this because it's it, it like I said it's getting easier to get into it now it just needs to get dumber so more people can get into it because yeah. it, and it, it it even falls in under the same thing of like a like the credit card industry which is a shitty industry but it got to the point where credit cards no one cares about how credit cards work and how the credit system works they just want to know if they can buy things <laughs> so once we can get, simplify it for the people that have no idea to get it to that easy i i think um it will be massive adoption that we don't won't have to worry about different you know fiat currencies around the world and just stick to uh something decentralized yeah and like some of the other things that i'm really interested in in this space is um sort of the more hardware based stuff that i'm constantly like 
using on my end. So I have, you know, I have over 37 terabytes of footage. Um, and uh, there's, you know, there's a few currencies out there or technologies out there that are decentralized in cloud storage, mm-hmm. you know, so that your footage is um, not sitting in Amazon server and they don't have control over it. Like these are really yeah. important thing, other directions it's moving. Um, also, you know, uh, GPU acceleration will be, there's other companies trying to decentralize that so that everyone can, you know, everyone could have their own render farm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you, and the people that are giving their GPUs for render will make, you know, will be paid as well. Um, you know, file storage is a huge one. Yeah. That like, because I'm so, I have so much footage. It's, it's to the point where, I want to put it in the cloud, and I do have it in the cloud, but it is through one company called Google, and you know I have to hope that they don't mess it up. You know, and yeah, yeah, I, that that always that always terrifies me too. With because everyone's like, oh, well, I have it on Google. And it's like, well, if you don't have it on Google, it's probably on the Amazon backbone. There's like there's one or two two places that it is. Like I don't know many other cloud storages that use any other servers you know it's either through the the through those two but also it's like it's my content and it's my work it's my files what if google just decides um i'm going to delete your account and that's it and that's it or there's your banned you're banned from google drive if that happened to me i would be I would be like, well, shit, now what? <laughs> you know, and, and we've seen in the past six months all the censorship that's happened. And, you know, regardless of your political beliefs, you know, you have to kind of raise your eyebrow at it. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I think that's a crypto, I hope, we'll be, we'll be able to solve in the future. And, I know it's going to be a long road and a very bumpy one, and, and it's going to, you know, who knows? We'll probably start a war over it. Um, but um, what, one of the one of the other like cool things that I'm interested in, and this is just my idea, and I hope it becomes reality. But it's like still images and cameras, um, and also video footage. Um, when the technology gets so advanced that, you know, NFTs or whatever they call it, then or being burned into everything, into the metadata, so that the footage you shoot or on your phone is instantly, you know, oh, that would be great. Instantly minted to the to the blockchain. Just yeah, like- so that there is proof that you shot it on your phone and it can't be denied. Because yeah. right now metadata is like really kind of wonky. Well, you know, you shot it here, but the GPS is off and the date. Whoops. Yeah, uh, it, and it happens all the time. Like, um, I actually saw somebody that took one of my images of my dog, um, and was using it on a stock site. And I, first, first of all, it's really hard to like miss my dog. If you, if, if you see her, you're like, oh, she has a prosthetic brace on her left leg. So like, it's very distinct. It's not like, oh, that could be my dog. It looks kind of like my, no, that is my dog. Like, there's no question about it. And it was on a uh, on a stock site, and some guy had it there, and he's like, and, and I like went to the stock site. I'm like, that's not his image, 
like i don't know like where he pulled that from uh-huh. and you're like and they were trying to fight me on it like i'm like okay well i have the raw camera file and they're like well it better be before like the year 20 it was like before march of 2021 and it's like i took this photo six years ago like what are you talking about <laughs> like wow. so like i I really, I like that idea. I like the idea of, of the technology getting to the point where when you do record or you do snap a photo, no matter what platform that you're doing, you have that ability to just burn it to the blockchain to be like, yes, this is, this is it right here. This day, this time I took that photo. Here's all the data. It's there. No one can change it. Yeah, because right now you, you know, I, I, I had to, um, you know, call it minting, but we had to get a copyright for Zerogon. Um, we did it. We just like, you know what? Let's let's copyright this. I've never done it before. So we paid like sixty bucks. We filled out the government papers, and we sent it in. And then like two months later, we got a letter back like. Your movie is trademarked and with the U.S. something something, and I was like, "Wow!" But <laughs> it, it shouldn't take; it should be instant. So, yeah, yeah these are all really interesting topics because I, I think that's there'll be more accountability. Um, you know, just like there's a more accountability in general with because of the internet. Well, there'll be more accountability, more on a creative level, which is really important to artists, and a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, I have friends you know, renting out Airbnbs and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, you should get photos of Pinewood. You're like, oh, yeah, I took some off of Instagram. I'm like, well, you can't do that. Yeah. They're like, why not? I'm like, well, at least ask them permission. They're like, yeah, it's just a picture. I'm like, that's what I mean. So I, I think, yeah, the NFTs are, like, weird and crazy, and there's, like, a lot of noise, but I think it's hopefully going to build respect for artists so where people are like, oh, I have to buy your art. Yeah. Take it. And oh, it's only going to cost me five Dogecoin or whatever. Oh, cool. I can I can give you that. Yeah. You know, it's just the sort of the the handshake that you're getting, um, and not just like someone stealing your work because no one wants to get their work stolen. Just like you don't want someone to walk in your house and steal your projector. You know. Yeah. I and that's uh, I had to uh, when I used to work in radio. I I worked at a iHeartMedia, and I worked in the um, I was online digital content director so obviously we did everything on the website all the social media posts all the blog posts everything kind of like went through us and there was one dj who had a notorious habit of just lifting photos and posting it as his own content and i said dude you can't do that you just can't you can't like set up these things and like use other people's photos, not even like, not even crediting them, just like, oh, it's a photo, it's on the internet. And then it happened. Uh, yeah. It was like a $125,000 fine because he lifted the wrong photo, basically, <laughs> because it was yeah. a, it was a photographer that does his due diligence and has pays a company to scour the internet for his images. And it paid off because I well at the time it was Clear Channel. Clear Channel had to pay that much money <laughs> to 
to this uh artist it was either it was like either pay that or uh go to court and they're like we'll just pay it whatever we'll we'll get it i was like that's why you don't lift people's images and use them as your own because you pick the wrong image and you find out that it's like a very well-known image from a very well-known photographer and you're like great but no no like um like the the sort of ai stuff that i hope will come eventually and you know i hope it will come i'm also like very weary of it is like it can analyze every frame of a movie every frame of and in a way it's in a way it's doing surveillance but it's also like looking and 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 um uh what do you call it just doing checksums of imagery across the planet and yeah maybe that'll be better for society when people start respecting artwork because out of all the industries it's like art is like oh you can work for free yeah. hey i need this can you just hook me up like no 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 yeah. our skills are extremely valuable and we spent a lot of money going to school and we spent a lot of our waking life obsessing over how to be better at what we do and people just don't quite understand yeah it's like if you're a plumber you get you get more respect because you like studied you spent your life learning about you know the inner workings of a a house but you know art is something different for some reason yeah and i i think you're right i think this that the respect of the artist that like our time has come like it's it's um it will be nice to finally be able to be like i'm an artist no i'm not a starving artist because that's a thing of the past (laughs) like everyone respects my work everyone sees it as a legitimate career like when we growing up no one thought playing video games would be a legitimate career (laughs) i know twitch streamers that make more in a month than i've made in my entire lifetime so it's like um yeah playing video games that's a career now and now it's not like frowned upon so being an artist still frowned upon <laughs> or like you said it's something that people will just take advantage of We're like oh that's cool you, you can do that awesome could you do it for me for for free of course not i'm not paying you why would i ever pay you i mean i mean my yeah. my at being a photographer you always get that well uh, my 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 nephew has a camera or something like some nonsense like that or i have an iphone like cool you're not a photographer though (laughs) yeah and that's kind of like it'll normalize art i hope and normalize the respect we have for creativity yes there'll be a lot of people trying to to do that for a living and will fail because that's just not who they are they don't have the skills or the personality for it but um you know, I think like uh, I just lost my thought. Um, the wait, where were we going? You're gonna have to edit this part up. We were talking about um, um, uh, normalizing artwork. Yes, it, normalizing artists. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. Just the, I think like the sort of renaissance of like creativity will will explode. You know, over the next ten, twenty years because of it. Because artists that no, at one point in their lives could, would never even think about being able to have like a supplemental income are now encouraged to, to create and 
there'll be a lot of creative people and there'll be a lot of competition, but at the same time, the world is huge and there's billions of people that are now a part of this new world. And, you know, I think it only, it can only be good. I hope. I mean, obviously there's going to be a negative side effect of it all too, but yeah. I, uh, and I, I think that what's really going to happen is once the, the quote unquote cash grab ends for art, like for people making money, as artists and by making money, I mean like making a shit ton of money, but yeah. once that cash grab ends and it does normalize, you're going to find that like all those people are going to stop doing it. And what's going to be left is the actual creators and artists. And that's, I can't wait for that, but yeah, you're probably right. It's probably going to be like, you know, 10, 20 years from now, like we're, I, mean, I hope cause like, I'm excited if that's the case because if yeah. it just if it just like if it all of a sudden became were like if it was a smartphone from from Atari, from Atari to smartphones, you know, overnight it would be weird. It would be dramatic and yeah, I mean, hard to, hard to probably hard to swallow because the technology <laughs> is probably going to be so advanced when we get to that point that yeah, we can't even really fathom it at the moment. What is, yeah was it Moore's law? It's like every so so many um months technology like doubles itself yeah so yeah yeah so it's it is funny because i I always think about these things and when i got my my latest phone uh for christmas my wife got me the the google six the google pixel six pro whatever the the latest one that google put out and i was like great. You know, I liked my, my three XL and I had that forever and it was, it was a good phone and I had an okay camera. And then I took this and I was like, this is only two and a half years removed from the other one. And what I'm realizing is that I can do cinematic video with depth of field and just like all of the creature comforts that I could do with a good like prime lens on my camera. Insane. And I was like, what is going on? Like the image stabilization is like crisp. There's no wobble. It's, it is, it's <laughs> mind blowing what they're doing with a phone. Like granted, I mean, if you pay retail, the thing is like $1,200. So of course I would hope that it has at least a decent camera on it. But the fact that it's getting to the point where I can do uh, long exposure photography with my phone now, which I've been doing long exposure photography with my camera for you know a, a decade now. So the fact that I have a secondary camera when I go out to shoot, so I just take another small tripod that I can put my phone on and hit the button that says long exposure. It will count down, make sure it's stable, and then... Sh- go for however long I want it to. And I have control over it and it's a phone. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm, I, I shoot on my phone so much. Um, I was kind of against vertical formats for, I'm, I'm always kind of gr- grumpy about new yeah. trends, but I actually kind of love it um, specifically for like, when I travel, I try I tend to make kind of silly videos and silly little stories. And I think, vertically it just makes sense and i've enjoyed kind of experimenting with that new frame 
Yeah. I, I, I hate that. It, I, I hated that it became an, a norm <laughs> so much, but then, you know, you started looking at, cause I, I'm a, I'm a numbers nerd. So I always look at analytics for everything and like 85, 86% of the people viewing all the content are doing it from a phone vertically anyway. So why, why even have, why even shoot, you know, in landscape when everything could be in portrait? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I shoot landscape uh, for my films because I, I, I'm still shooting for, you know, movie theaters and, you know, streaming services. But, um, yeah, I kind of really enjoy it being separate in that sense because now movie making is almost a little more special again because, you know, shooting horizontal, it's like, all right, right, you're you're shooting for something else or, or maybe you just like it that way. But I, you know... The only problem is when I want to incorporate a lot of social media into my films, which is kind of impossible to avoid nowadays, um, having to, you know, bring vertical format into horizontal, and that causes quite a bit of uh, frustration. Um, but, yeah. you know, make it work now. It's become the norm. We, we've been using that word a lot, the norm, but, yeah, a yeah. lot of it. You know, well, I mean, eventually it, things will, you know, they do normalize. So it does become the norm, but I, I, I am with you on the whole thing that when you do see something, even when I see people shooting in landscape with their phone for whatever, I'm like, I don't, I look at them and I go, I don't think they're just going to like throw this on social media. That instantly that's where my head goes because like in, I don't. I will never need to shoot in 8K on my phone, but I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why that's an option, and it's like 8K. I think it's. I could do either 30 or 24 frames a second, so I could shoot cinematic 8K, which is stupid. It's stupid yeah. on a phone, <laughs> but that's not available when you put it vertically. I noticed that. So they're, they're still in there for the people that are out that are, that are uh, can't afford to get maybe a, a higher end like DSLR mirrorless or rent, you know, an actual like oops, crazy camera like a red or, or any of the, the, the bigger, scarier cameras and renting like, <laughs> you know, $100,000 lenses and things that people never buy, you know, they, they only rent them. <laughs> But like I can I can see people like going down the path of like I could I could become a f- filmmaker. I could make my own things with a really high-end phone now. And I, I think it's kind of cool. More importantly, have you noticed the editing on a phone is getting much better? <laughs> like I can edit video on my phone. Right it's after. funny you say that. Uh I just kind of um I kind of just like finally settled on the app that I think works the best. Uh, I've been like, I, I work in DaVinci on a computer. I work in Premiere. I've done Final Cut Pro, you know, and they're great for long form, complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I want to edit like a quick little one minute video with, you know, a nice transition, some text, some color, some even, you know, some silly effects, 
there's an app called Splice, which I'm sure there's plenty of them uh, for iPhone. And man, yeah, it's the first time where I'm like, wow, I can actually do vertical, horizontal. I can push it on the image. Uh, some of the older Pro, like Premiere and Final Cut Pro and iMovie, they're just like so rigid. You yeah. can't do anything with them. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I, um, but people, I've actually had people, uh, back when I used to do a lot more, uh, Twitch streaming, I, I like stopped a couple of years ago, but some days, like I would have editing days and I would live edit like, uh, something I was doing for our YouTube channel back in the day, or, you know, uh, do a live photo shoot. But when people were watching me do stuff in premiere, they're like, this is the most tedious crap ever. I'm like this, and I'm not even doing anything hard right now. I'm just getting <laughs> getting all the files in order, and like, and they're like, but there's so much, so many little things. I'm like, yeah, uh, this is, and it's very, very rigid. There's no, you make up your own flow for all the the big Adobe and you know, even sure. I mean even DaVinci, um, you know, with um. With a uh, wow, what's it called again? DaVinci Resolve. Resolve, yeah. I kept Reason kept coming. Reason is audio engineering stuff. Um, but yeah, with with that, I, I love that the guys that made DaVinci Resolve put out that free version of it. Yeah, because it kind of it was kind of like a like a fuck you to Adobe. Like, listen, you you can have all the tools you just the rendering is is horrendous i mean <laughs> if you've ever used the free version of uh, of resolve um because i i have a, the entire adobe suite for all the crap that i do but i was like oh i'll just use resolve for something real quick because i just want to see the difference and on the free version they don't let you use like a the video card to help render so like uh, a, a one minute clip that i like was just piecing together when it went to actually export it and encode it it took like 15 minutes and i i was like this this is, should be like three or four seconds this shouldn't even this is why is this happening <laughs> but for somebody who doesn't have the money to have a huge like powerful like a uh, editing bay or even just a really powerful computer to edit um and they don't have the money to spend, you know, ever since Adobe went to the, uh, you know, the subscription service, you know, you're spending, you know, about a grand every year to have the full suite, which is annoying, but I understand like you might as well get all of it because I can't cherry pick and get things a la carte with Adobe because they, yeah once i do that it starts costing more a month than it would to just get the entire package yeah which is so frustrating they're like oh well there here's here's the uh the photographer one you get lightroom uh lightroom bridge and photoshop you're like cool but i also do a lot of audio editing so i need audition you're like oh okay well you can get that i was like well i, I could use after effects because i could just pull video from something out and i was like but if I get After Effects and Premiere, it's less. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, this is going to be like $300 a month if I do it like this. What am I doing? <laughs> so I, I love I love uh, Resolve's platform of buy it once and that's it. 
But yeah, going back to the phones, like I think, I think majority of the younger generation are editing on their phones and their tablets, and mm-hmm. you know we might be the dinosaurs in the sense that um, in ten years we, you know, not many people will be using these more stationary systems that you know have been around for years. I think once the technology gets yeah more efficient, they they got good, man. I, I'm back to like you're initially bringing it up it's it's so fluid i'm just like moving clips around my finger and throwing text importing music i'm like wow it was never this easy now i'm putting together like one minute videos whether they're experimental videos on my vacation or something i filmed in a day i'm like this is stuff that was taking me you know a day or two back in college you know shooting on videotape and stuff so it's been for me. It's been super exciting, and a lot of people don't like it because you know they feel like they're being, you know, they're going to be obsolete. But I am always on top of the news. You know, I'm a little grumpy in the beginning, and then I, and then I, I get over being grumpy old man, and then I embrace yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I am exactly that way. Because even because uh, uh, on my video here in the background. Like I have my cameras laying out, but I have like a Surface Pro. I was just like, well, I need a new laptop. And then I thought about, I was like, do I need a laptop? Like, no, I need a tablet. I was like, I need a really good tablet. And then I was just like, I don't want to get an iPad because I I don't, I'm not a fan of Apple's ecosystem. So I was like, oh, I'll just get this thing. And it has like the technology, it has like this keyboard that just, adheres to it it has a pen that lets me draw like paint and do everything like and it has four like feedback haptic feedback so if i'm drawing on like you know that feeling when you take pencil and you're you're like say you like draw on like um like watercolor paper how it's got that tooth to it and you could feel it yeah it does it like i i feel the texture of the paper while i'm doing it which is creepy because it's a plastic pen and a glass surface making that happen but i see this now as like i could use this and just that would be the platform that i use once they get a little more powerful um i can still do just about anything on there i can edit video i can and obviously i could run all of the software that i have on this this desktop on there with no issue but the only thing that needs to happen is like um it's they have to tweak two things it it needs more power and it needs to not use as much power so (laughs) so if you could get it more powerful (laughs) without having to eat it's like oh this battery lasts for 17 hours if you're in a word document and that's all you have open (laughs) because i I uh, I actually tried to, uh, uh, I was editing something. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can just, you know, Creative Cloud, I'll pull up Photoshop and I'll edit something and I'll just, cool, I'll use the pen. And it was like an hour and a half into it. And I was like, oh, I have 50% of my battery left. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the next big, uh, that's the next big issue that needs to be solved in the future. Yeah. Is power consumption yeah, how we're going to manage that. But I am also excited to see that because I'm tired of my electricity bill. Yeah. 
yeah, that's, that's something that it would be really nice to not have to really worry about <laughs> like, Oh, my setup here just pulls, you know, like 1500 Watts of power from the wall, almost 24 seven. So I can account a hundred dollars a month for my setup. <laughs> yeah. And that's nothing else in the house. No washer, dryer, like that's this just tack that on. Yeah, power consumption needs to get fixed. But uh <laughs> so you talk about just about anything on this on this uh yeah. podcast, yeah. J- just about. Like yeah. um I you know it's and I, I started it off as a thing where like, oh, I want to talk to people that are, uh, that are doing something they love and are making money from it. And then what it turned out was um, people had more to say outside of the realm of the stuff that they work on. <laughs> yeah. And it's always an interesting conversation. And that's kind of what I love. Um, but, you know, we, we've actually been at this for two hours, but we can... Uh, wrap up a little here and I, I always ask this just with of everyone with everything that's going on you know technology wise just with the projects that you're working on where do you see yourself going in filmmaking like where where's the next step I know you said you you have a another project you're working on right now but what is the next evolution in in your um, in your craft that you're doing? Uh, so for me, so I don't have any like massive, I don't have like these sort of Hollywood dreams of being, you know, some massive, huge director. I, you know, that's like one of those things if it happened to happen, but that's not really my goal. For me, I want to finish these movies. I want to screen them at festivals. I want to be able to talk about them to the public. I want to bring the people that they're about with me. I want to, you know, have that wonderful experience of sharing your work. But more than that, I would really like to start building a team because I do all my stuff myself, majority of it, and it's exhausting. And it's like I have the skill set to do it all. I do just about anything post-wise. And it's also it's like a blessing and a curse because I don't trust anyone. Um, (laughs) I really want to get... I really want to get to a point where I like I can build a, a team that, you know, and ha- whether we're financed um, to do so or we make a lot of money um, somehow with some of the work we do or some of the work I do where I can actually, you know, have a team that I trust that I can pay mm-hmm. to to expedite the process of making work because, yeah, in the future I would like to have a better, a small team that I trust, like my family that sees my vision and, you know, can can work with me. I only have a few people like that in my life, but they also have their own lives and their own ambitions. So I would need people who really want to be a part of, you know, my vision, which is not easy. So no. um, how do I get how do I get to that point? I hope by making good, really, really um, amazing work um, in the future that hopefully I'll, people will gravitate towards, you know, the next project that I want to work on. Well, I I really hope that happens because I want to see more stuff that you do, and and if you can get a team to help you crank it out faster, then hell yeah! <laughs> because yeah. taking it all on yourself sucks. I, I that's been my thing 
forever and I, I never outsource anything. So it's like, I, I could do this. I could do it. Don't worry. I'll do it myself. Even if it adds like another 10 hours of work that I shouldn't have to do, but I'm going to do because I don't want somebody else to screw it up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's uh, that's basically how it goes. <laughs> but uh, before we go, John, um, first, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been uh, just, it's been a great time just like chatting about all this stuff yeah. because it is a wide spectrum that, that we, we do talk about and like, I will talk about anything, but bef- before we do go, I, please like plug anything, uh, social media places to find your stuff. If there's any, anything out there that you want to just throw out into the universe. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much of a universe on the internet except for my Instagram account, which is my name spelt kind of uh, phonetically, which is John M.A., the number two Z, which spells out Matuzi, John Matuzi. Mm-hmm. That's really it. I don't have websites. I'm kind of, I'm kind of over the whole website thing. I think it's a thing of the past, honestly, but um, mm. I also don't really like putting stuff up. But you can also just Google my name, um, but I'm on Vimeo as well. You can find me there. I don't have any real home. Um, kind of a bag of bond on the internet. A digital nomad to the fullest yeah. extent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and telling your story and talking about the world in general. Yeah, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. No problem. Until next time. 